Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There was a great scene at Amazon where they said, in God we trust, everything else bring me data. <laughs> so that was a big one. That, that changed my DNA. That's good. I became a data freak. And, you know, Amazon is notorious for being focused on the details. If you collect the right data, you can find the details. And that's what Amazon does better than any other company is they're willing to collect the data and they're willing to dive really deep into the data. So now I do that in my personal life. I bring that to the companies that I've joined after Amazon. And I think data is huge, right? But most of the leaders at Amazon were exceptional at being able to instrument themselves to measure the right data points, analyze the data, and then activate on the data. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Episode 49. Can you believe it? We're almost at 50. This is part two of my interview with Dan Gray. And if you missed the first one, it was one of my favorite episodes because it really made an impact on me personally. And I often think about all of the lessons that I learned from that interview and how I apply it into my own life. Dan has had a ton of success in his career, including a stint at Amazon. He also happens to be my cousin. And as I share, I've looked up to him my entire life. We talk a lot about the lessons he's learned in his career including a lot about the lessons he gained from working at Amazon. 
Some of the highlights from this episode include his journey finding EQ as a leader, what it means to lead out and in front, the value of defining output goals and input activities, what Amazon uses instead of a PowerPoint, I love that, and the importance of being data-driven. So there's a ton of great insights in this one. Let's jump in midway through the conversation with Dan Gray. It is a powerful thing to think of how we can leverage our unconscious mind when in most cases we just let it do its thing and it does its thing. But if you have the the knowledge uh, or at least the ability to connect with your unconsciousness uh, in, in a way that previously you haven't, that just unlocks as you said, 80% of what you've, you've basically just been on autopilot. It's huge. You've just been sleepwalking through life, as you said yourself. And I don't think you're alone. I think we all, to some degree, you know, with the exception of those that have really harnessed this, this ability, right. we, we are sleepwalking through life. We are allowing our subconscious or our unconscious brain to dictate everything that we, that we do with this small, you know, 20% or that, and that's probably being generous of, of that conscious part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. which I talk a lot about on this show is the part that it does all our problem solving, our yes. critical thinking, but it is overworked. Yes. This part of our brain is so overworked that we often don't have insights because our brain is too flooded trying to solve the riddle that is in front of us That's instead right. of giving us a little bit of a pause, which is why when we go on a walk or when we go to the bathroom or take a shower or go to the gym or stop thinking so mm-hmm. much, all of a sudden it clicks, it connects. We have that aha moment. Yeah. Greg sounds like an amazing, now, now you said he was younger than you, but you reported to him. Is that, is that correct? Or we, was you guys? We, interestingly enough, we were, we were hired together at the same time for the same role as if it was going to be like a shark tank or something. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I, I ended up, I think I ended up reporting to him. Um, you know, we were kind of like Batman and Robin. So it was like a dynamic duo. Um, but yeah, I think I, I ended up reporting to him rightfully. So he was, uh, he's a master in, in his trade, in his technical trade. Um, and he's, you know, he's, uh, he's still leading the division that we were working at, uh, at the, at the hut group, but yeah, great, great guy with an amazing, uh, wealth of experience. I wonder if other leaders stand out in your mind and they don't have to be people you reported to. It could be somebody that, or you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be somebody you reported to. It could be somebody that reported to you or somebody you had exposure to because you, you have worked at some amazing companies. And maybe if you could walk us through your career, I know, you know, it started a lot in localization and, you know, having your background that you, you are bilingual, or I guess you actually speak more than two languages because yeah. you speak Spanish as well. How did you find yourself in that, in that space? And then how did that transition to, you know, cloud services, because there is that tie-in. Maybe yeah. you could talk a little bit about what you did, but then layer in some of the people that you worked with and some of the insights that you gleaned from working with those people. Yeah. So super high level so that it's easy to digest. Localization of the translation industry. I spent 17, almost 17, 20 years selling those services, very simply helping companies uh, that are based in the U.S. translate their products and their content to release in international markets, right? So I spent 17, 20 years doing that. It was really fortuitous that I completed my MBA and likewise got called by Amazon for an interview process and ultimately was selected to join Amazon. So that was my movement away from translation into the world of cloud computing. 
And I moved up to Seattle and worked for Amazon for a good number of years. Um, that was a phenomenal experience. Um, I, I, I like telling people that my Amazon experience was like my MBA on steroids, except like, again, in, in real life. So that, that was pretty amazing. There's some amazing leaders, very, very highly intelligent, capable folks at Amazon. Um, and then from Amazon, um, I ultimately went to the Hut Group, which was still in the space of IT infrastructure and web hosting. Um, and then from uh, the Hut Group, um, uh, was fortunate enough to take a position with Deluxe, which is in media and entertainment. Across all of them, there is a common theme with early to market disruptive services and or products, uh, technology products, um, and selling to enterprise, enterprise level. So that's been the common theme in, in, in my career. Uh, always sales and always sell, you know, selling to, to enterprise um, of either professional services or uh, uh, high technology. Some of the leaders I mentioned, Greg uh, was a, a pretty amazing leader. Another leader that I learned a lot from, um, and it's another common theme in the DNA, the the super the, the superpower, the the secret sauce that I bring, which is really amplified by my experience at Amazon, is customer obsession. And so, even before I got to Amazon and learned one of their fourteen leadership principles is customer obsession, and we see it. You know, you, no, no doubt. With Amazon, you see it all throughout how Amazon operates. They work backwards from the customer, right? This is a simple topic or concept, but not a lot of companies do it very well and certainly don't uh, instrument it into the culture. Uh, Amazon started with that from the beginning. So that's really awesome. But even prior to Amazon, the founder and CEO for We Localize, his name is Smith Yule, is a really an amazing leader. And what he taught me, again, keeping things real simple, is to lead out in front. In other words, he as the CEO would be at conferences in the booth, speaking not only to customers, but interacting with project managers and other folks that might stop by the booth. He'd also go out dancing and drinking with his team. And he'd play in a rock band at the conference. And he then, you know, could turn around and fly internationally and speak, you know, be the keynote speaker at a conference. He's six foot six or something, really tall, uh, tall gentleman, but, and, and wise, just, just very sharp and wise, but extremely personable. So, um, that concept of, um, modeling how to lead out in front is the type of leader that I have aspired to be, right? Is that you can, you can do by example, you can teach by example. So a lot of folks that either might be the owner of a company or or the leader of a team or what have you that they might lead from behind right or lead from the back right in the chariot <laughs> yeah but if you're out <laughs> rowing with your team um there's no better way to build credibility trust um you know to to bleed with your with to bleed with your troops on the on the battlefield so to speak um <clears throat> smith did a phenomenal job of that and that was one of the big things that i learned again it's not it's not, they're not like rocket science concepts, right? It's, they're basic human uh, concepts. And Smith was just fantastic at, you know, could be a client meeting. He was going out with the team and meeting with the client. He's the CEO of the company, um, making really big strategic decisions, but just as much, you know, leading by example. So that's another great, you know, uh, another great leader in, in, the, uh, in the career that I've had. Uh, there have been countless others at Amazon. Uh, there was a great saying at Amazon um, where they said, uh, 
in God we trust, everything else bring me data. <laughs> so that was a big one. And that, that changed my DNA. That's good. I became a data freak. And, you know, Amazon is notorious for being focused on the details. And so if you collect the right data, you can find the details. And that's what Amazon does better than any other company is they're willing to collect the data and they're willing to dive really deep into the data. Um, and so now I do that in my, in my personal life. I, I bring that to the companies that, you know, that, I, that I've joined after Amazon. Um, and, and, and I think data is, is huge, right? But the, most of the leaders at Amazon were exceptional um, at being able to instrument themselves to measure the right data points, analyze the data, and then activate on the data. Um, and there'd be countless leaders that I, you know, that I met and worked with at, at Amazon that were, uh, that embody that. Um, but those are some examples of, of the key folks that I've met along the, along um, my journey. I love it. All, all great concepts. And, you know, you mentioned that these, these are basic, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave it at that. I mean, these, they're basic for a reason, right? Customer obsession, it matters to think about it from the con from the, from the start. And as you said, like work backwards, reverse engineer from the cons from the customer mm. backwards, leading from the front again, you know, may sound simple, but very rarely is it practiced to the degree that, that Smith right. clearly did. Right. Right. So he was modeling the behavior that, that he believed in yeah. and data. Right. I mean, that's, that's something that I can tell you that I, throughout my career, I've always been impressed by people that are able to harness the power of data and then therefore make a compelling argument why we should or should not do something. Mm. It's not my natural tendency to be a data freak, but I, I, I'm mad respect it is what I'll tell you. Let me, let me break down something for you that, 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 uh, again, having gone through the gauntlet of working at Amazon, um, for about four years, uh, one of the big learnings that I extracted and have brought with me to the organizations that I've worked with uh, post Amazon, um, it's quite powerful. So the concept of uh, what are your output goals and what are your input activities? So if you, again, here's me, in, you know, being inclined to the science behind things. If you listen to the science behind that, what is first important is what are your goals? Can you define your goals? A lot of people have challenge defining their goals. Like I was asking you, okay, well, what's your monetization plan or your goal around what you're doing now with Insight, Insight Out, et cetera? Getting clear on what your output goals are. Then you work backwards from those output goals to, well, then what are the input activities that I need to do to achieve those output goals? Now, if you have the correct correlation between those two, then what you do as an input will deliver you the output. But many people have a hard time defining the output and therefore they cannot execute on the right inputs. Mm. Or they might define the right output goal, but then you find them doing the wrong input activities. So this has been, a, again, a framework that I've brought with me. And you, again, would be amazed. It appears to be pretty simple. But applying that, say, for example, the sales team that I manage and helping sales reps to, uh, you know, uh, uh, equipping them with a quota, 
Okay. So now I've told you, you got to deliver me a million dollars in sales in 2020, for example. Okay. So now you know what your output goal is. What are your input activities? And so getting clear on what are the things that they need to do to get to that output goal, it's amazing that you'll find them doing things that do not contribute to that output goal. So now this concept so <laughs> of output goal and input activity, the, the dynamic or the correlation between the two, this is something, this is a big learning of mine having worked at, at Amazon and they would require you to define your output goals and your input activities as your, you know, your annual planning. Right. And again, it's a data-driven culture. So for me, everything breaks down to a mathematical formula. It's when I think of this, I think of alignment, right? If your activities are not aligned with your output goals, chances are you will not achieve your output goals. And we are look, anyone listening to this probably recognizes that at some point in their life, maybe more frequently than they would like to admit, they have been working on the wrong things, right? Activities do drive activities do drive results, but only if they're the right activities. If they're the wrong activities, you're effectively distracting yourself away from the activities that are most meaningful and important to achieve the desired outcome or result. Um, you, you, you've talked about Amazon being like an MBA on steroids. <laughs> I feel that way about my time at Tesla. And so I want to peel back the onion a bit more and maybe it, what else did you take away? Cause you have to use some great ones that you've shared, right? Customer obsession, mm. data oriented mindset, remembering, you know, that when you think about your job, you should think about what the output is. And relative to that, what your desired output is, what are your necessary action steps or activities? What else stands out as Amazon cultural um, sort of ideologies that have stuck with you? I've read a lot about it, meaning that a lot of people talk about the, the Amazon technique or tool called a narrative. And the narrative is if people haven't read it or seen it, you know, Jeff Bezos and, and Amazon do not allow PowerPoint. So um, many times in different companies, even, you know, some of the companies that I've worked for, um, when you're presenting a business plan or whatever it is you're presenting, it's being presented in PowerPoint. The concept that at Amazon that I learned, right, my, my interpretation, my takeaway, having done many narratives, um, is that uh, I think Jeff's concept is when you have to write out your argument um, and they limit it to six pages, um, the amount of thought that goes into literally the construct of every single word becomes extremely valuable on the page. And if you can put together a well-thought, well-defended, uh, well-substantiated argument, um, you know, at Amazon, it's write the narrative, come into a meeting, hand out the narrative, and everybody literally goes quiet for the first 30 minutes of the meeting when I first experienced it, it was eerie. It was weird. That is, that's, that's bizarre. It was, it was weird, William, but man, it worked. It, it was amazing. And then when you're forced to write your argument, as opposed to put it in bullet points on a PowerPoint, um, it really does require you to put uh, a lot more thought, right? So um, one of the challenges I had with writing narratives was trying to get from zero to version 10 <laughs> really That's well. Right, right, right. So right. that was a challenge for me. Um, and usually what would happen in those meetings is you would hand out your narrative and people would bleed, as they say, they would bleed all over it. They, they would just tear it apart, right? And then you would go back through and 
improve and so on and so forth. But that's probably another major tool that really works well for Amazon. Doesn't mean it necessarily works well for other companies and other company cultures, but at Amazon, the the concept of a narrative um, is very powerful. So much to the point where if you do go to Amazon as a supplier or you're an Amazonian working at another company and somebody presents something to you in PowerPoint, they kind of lose you from the beginning because there's not a well-constructed, thought-out, substantiated, specifically with data argument because PowerPoint allows you to hide. Right? Mm. Whereas the narrative is, is um, it's, it's just that. It's you're making a case. It's almost like you're a lawyer. Preci- Bingo. That's a great, that's a great analogy. So believe it or not, I have actually not tried to reinstitute that in the organizations that I've joined because again, just because a tool works someplace doesn't mean it's always going to, you know, it's going to work somewhere else. But when you ask right around, what are the, some of the key learnings? Boy, to- I've never toiled over six pages more in my life than I did. That's when, amazing. When I was That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't want to leave the uh, any any juice left in the orange. What 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 else? <laughs> uh, what else? It will take one more if you have it from Amazon. Like if you could think of those are some power. I love them all. So, and I think people are probably naturally curious about one of the most valuable companies in the history of our existence. And clearly I think there's probably very few people that are listening to this that have not touched an Amazon box within the last, let's call it 48 hours, right? right? right. That's just the stark reality of the world we live in. And, And Amazon is much more than a online marketplace to buy goods. In fact, if you look at AWS, which you were, which you were part of, that's really the juggernaut that I personally believe is going to make Amazon even more valuable than it is today at all time highs, by the way, as we record this. So I'm curious if, if you could give me one more Amazon piece. And then as you think about that, let's dovetail into your your work there and, and work just in, in the cloud space in general. Because I want to talk about, you've mastered the art of, you put it on your, on your LinkedIn profile, guerrilla marketing and yeah. thinking of ways to find clients. Like I, I want to dig in on that front because I yeah. think that'll provide value for some of the folks in business development that... Um, could benefit from, from learning from a master, a Jedi like yourself. <laughs> uh, look, I'll leave you with one other quick one. Um, we talked about data. Um, it was um, very normal on a weekly basis to um, pour through our key metrics. So we would have a key metrics deck, uh, which was not a PowerPoint deck. It was literally sometimes an inch thick of every data point that a business was measuring and uh, our VP at the time would have, uh, I think he had four or five different business units as part of his organization. Every week, uh, the the representatives, and I was the representative for, for my business team, for my product team, uh, would come in and we would submit our metrics deck. And we would literally, there was no, there were no pictures, there were no bullet points. It was tables and tables and tables and tables and tables of data. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen an organization come together every week and pour through their data. Now, the way to think about that is you have kind of high level, again, keeping things simple. You have two types of uh, data in these, in these meetings. You had what are called leading indicators and you had trailing indicators, right? So an example of a trailing indicator is revenue. Revenue is not a leading indicator, right? A leading indicator is, well, how many customer accounts did you open? How many demos did you do? How many customer meetings did you have? How many 
uh, conversations did you uh, did you host? How many emails did you send? Those are all inputs, right? Back to inputs and sure, outputs. Sure, sure. Um, but what Amazon does really well, and and they're willing to and able to better than any other organization I've ever worked for, um, is be data driven, right? And so um, I had never uh, um, analyzed the performance or the health of a business from a pure data table point of view. Now, some might say, well, that's just like too far to an extreme, right? But, um, but I mean, that wasn't the only thing that we would do, but that weekly metrics review was astounding. And then what was even further interesting was the different business groups that were all in the room together, my business team or my product team, we may not have anything to do with your product team, but as I listen to you and I'm looking at your data, I can now... Um, objectively look at your data and ask penetrating questions about your data only because I'm looking at the correlation of numbers um, and metrics without necessarily having to understand or be a subject matter expert in your product and, and, and or in your market. So that is something that I've brought with me to other organizations and su- surprising or not, almost all the other organizations that I ever worked for post Amazon never had the discipline or the rigor mm. that Amazon was willing to uh, tolerate or invested in their culture. And you bring that to the organization and, and, and literally at first it's a little scary because once you operate based on data, there's no place to hide. Right. That's right. Well, data is a language in a, in a sense. And if you don't speak that language, it's hard to become fluent. And it sounds like through weekly ongoing meetings that really involved you and your cohorts speaking this language, you all become fluent in it. And then you can ask the relative, uh, you know, the, the questions that matter, the important questions, because you, you speak the language, it's, it's become part of your regular dialogue and communication. So, and it sounds to me like when you do bring this to other companies, it's probably a bit of a a gut check or a surprise because they're, they're not used to it. But I, I imagine that they find value in it and you in turn are that much more valuable because you are bringing this to the forefront. I will tell you though, let's take things up one major level. So at Amazon, I learned the importance of what they refer to as the flywheel and not knowing if you or others have seen or heard, but there is a, a, a drawing that I think Jeff Bezos um did on the back of a napkin, which was the Amazon flywheel. And it's worth looking it up. It's actually, again, simple, but extremely effective. And it talks about um, uh, selection and third-party sellers, and which all help drive uh, costs down, uh, which make customers happy, which then spins the flywheel. So this concept of flywheel is really important. And yes, you can sell through your dire- your direct sales channel, Yes, you can sell through a third-party sales channel. Um, But one of the most amazing uh, channels that that I witnessed and harnessed at Amazon was self-service. And regardless of what product or service you're selling, um, this concept of how do you build a flywheel, which is effectively for every ounce of effort you put in, you get two pounds of results, right? And... Self-service is effectively 
I know it sounds, it sounds unfortunate, but how do you remove the human interaction from an, a, the ability for a customer to put themselves into what Amazon calls the buy box? Mm. We all have a buy box, no matter what uh, business we are in. Uh, the goal for sales is how do you help the customer get themselves into the buy box as quickly and as effortlessly as possible. So if anybody tries it out, you go to amazon.com and you search for whatever you want to buy. Trophy, for example. You search for trophy. The first hit that comes up, Amazon is algorithmically giving you the best um, uh, option on that first click so that you can actually get in, type trophy, and within one or two clicks, you're actually checking out. That's getting the customer into the buy box, right? And so if you can uh, if you can instrument your business to where the customer can get themselves into the buy box without the need for human assistance, that's amazing, right? You get the lowest cost of sales, you get the highest velocity, um, and you still should be able to deliver a, an excellent customer experience, right? So um, in the jobs that I had prior to Amazon, we did not have a self-service revenue channel. But once I was at Amazon and every company I've been at after Amazon, I've brought that concept of how do we make it, how do we instrument it so that the customer can put themselves in the buy box on their own? Yeah. And I happen to know a fair amount about this, specifically having worked at Tesla. And this is absolutely the direction that Elon envisions Tesla going and you know, he wants it to be as the way he describes it is they could accidentally, you know, fall on their keyboard and order a Tesla. Like that's how easy it could be. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking about some of the most visionary leaders of yeah. our time and we are in the midst of a major transition as a species toward, you know, an automated, fully autonomous sort of workforce. And, you know, there's so many layers to that. And we probably spend, you know, 10 years discussing it, but it's fascinating to think that, you know, we, you know, being leaders within organizations that are disruptive, like the the Teslas and, and Amazons of the world, um, you know, we, we do play a part in crafting and designing what that future looks like. Clearly you've taken the concepts that you learned at Amazon, you're applying it to the businesses that you work at. I'm now through the amazing opportunity that I have to talk to you and and other incredible and exceptional humans that also have done amazing things like, you know, just bringing those out into the open and sharing is, is so important. Do you want to ask if you had any advice for somebody that's just getting started? And when I say that, what I mean is anybody that is either new to a kind of a career in general or new to leadership, if you have any kind of just immediate advice that comes to mind to help somebody that, you know, you've again, had such an amazing career that has continued to evolve and grow. What advice would you have with somebody that for somebody that's just starting out? Look, the, 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 the amazing thing, we'll go back to some of the earlier concepts that we talked about. Um, Early in my career, if I put myself in that person's shoes, right to the spirit of your question, Early in my career, it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of ego. There was a lot of, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just figure it out. Um, sometimes there aren't a lot of good coaches or mentors or, 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 or guide folks that are, act as signpost guideposts for you along the way. 
So you end up trying to hack it out, figure it out on your own. Um, but the one thing that I missed in early in my career was that emotional intelligence layer. So I was really focused on all of the kind of the, the normal goalposts. Am I, you know, am I selling at or above quota? Am I, you know, am I surpassing my W-2 by 25%? Like these were things that I measured my success on um, early on in my career. Um, and there are some people that are naturally gifted in the, in the region of emotional intelligence. I certainly was, <laughs> was not. Um, so for people that are new in leadership um, or just starting that journey, for me, um, I think some of the most compelling leaders, we've talked about some of them today, um, the ability to bring emotional intelligence. In other words, not just be uh, you know, the, the badass sales leader that can get a team to produce at any and all costs. Um, people might be burned out, unhappy, um, et cetera, but you've delivered all the results. Okay, great. For me now, it's that, uh, it's delivering the results, but really, um, how am I helping develop m more leaders? So for example, at Amazon, um, Jeff Bezos, um, his job, right, as a CEO is, yes, to steer the company, but really, if you think about it, his job is to develop the next set of Jeff Bezos because he's not going to be around forever. He's got to think about, right, how does he create other what they call level five leaders? Um, and so, you know, people that are new to leadership, um, I didn't take any class. I mean, I took classes on leadership in college, but that's different from learning how to be a leader, right, in, in, uh, in, in the real world. In the real world. So um, the, the big thing that I would leave in people's minds is uh, you're going to get all of the kind of the, the speeds and the feeds. You'll get all the speeds and the feeds, right? Because we all do. Um, but the part that I think is, is really inspiring, is, at least has really inspired me, is when, when leaders bring that emotional intelligence to the table and they help develop their people, not just professionally, but personally, they leave an indelible mark on you as a human, not just as an employee. Yeah, those are the people that I remember are the key leaders in my journey. And I would assume for others, right? The ones that are just starting out, if you want to be that type of leader, you know, and inspire people not just to deliver results, but be better humans, um, be better leaders, uh, be better professionally, personally, et cetera, emotional intelligence, right? So finding these books and learning about kind of the softer side of leadership early on will allow you to build the muscle over a longer period of time. Whereas for me, um, I've, I've built it. I think I have it, but I'm building it later in my career. And it would have been wonderful for me to have mm. started building it earlier. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes down to it, the emotional side is you, you're right. Some people have it naturally. And if you don't, you, you develop it, right? Do you have the ability to understand and to read the room and to look beyond maybe the more obvious undertones or more obvious, I guess you'd call them overtones of what's happening around you. If you're able to see the subtleties and the, the, the nuances and the um, less obvious things and have the wherewithal to be able to navigate through that in a productive way and in, in a human way, because ultimately we do connect with people that see us for our, 
uniqueness and our flaws and all the other things that make us a human being that, you know, having that at an early point in our career is, uh, is helpful. And so, yeah, um, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick example, yeah. right? So like, um, early in my career, there'd been no way that I would have harnessed vulnerability <laughs> as a strength. <laughs> I love how you chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, you know, it's just, maybe it's generational. Maybe it's, you know, at the time that, that I started my career, those things, you know, those concepts were like, dude, at least for me, William, they were not around. Either. If they were around, <laughs> I did not know about them. Harnessing this now, right? So the before and after, I can see it, right? Because I've been in sales coming on 25, 28 years, um, a career in sales coming close to that. Um, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's a big aha moment. It's a big takeaway. And I would, if, if there's nothing else, right, that I could leave with somebody that's just starting that journey, boy, I would love to give that to that person and let them build the muscle over 25 years uh, as opposed to, you know, what I did, which is, you know, just get to it later on in the career. At least I've, I've got to it. Um, and I try and bring that so that when I do show up during the day, when people, what people receive from me is all of me, mm. the real me. And people will associate with that. People, you know, we were talking about it, right? When you're vulnerable, everybody's insecure. Everybody's unsure. Everybody doesn't know. Everybody's just trying to figure it out. Um, but if you can help people, and here's another great term, right? Everything is figure outable. I got that from <laughs> yeah. a fantastic guest on the Oprah's, on Oprah's uh, Super, Super Soul Sessions. Super yeah. Soul, love that. Um, everything is figure outable. And, and, uh, but what that takes is a level of emotional intelligence, right? So that you're not dropping people um, for maybe not figuring things out, but helping them understand, right? How to figure things out. Right. That's emotional intelligence is that's, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to be the smartest person in the room, have a high IQ and at the same time have a low EQ. And the, the trade-off is often, you're not able to connect with the other people um, because you're you're missing a really important part of the That's equation. Right. That's right. Um, so I'm going to give you a a, a, a tough question. You you've I have a feeling I know what direction you're going to go, but <laughs> I, I don't know for certain. But what what's been your biggest challenge in life? How did you overcome it? What did you learn from it? Um, hmm. Biggest challenge in life. You know, um, I. My, my default emotion is anger. That's probably one of my biggest challenges in life. Like, you know, throughout, be it soccer, um, work, whatever, like uh, you and I share a common trait. I'm, again, I'm not a perfectionist, but I strive for excellence in every single thing I do. Um, and, uh, and I can become um, not, I'm, I'm, I don't, I've never actually really gotten angry with folks at work um, I'm, I'm pretty level-headed when it comes to that as I, I have my internal default emotion right beneath the surface is anger. Um, and, um, and that I've recently read, it's usually associated to not feeling good enough. Right. But that's because I'm such a tough critic of myself. I don't need anybody else to tell me I've not done a, a great job or whatever, because I'm already beating myself up with a sledgehammer. <laughs> so, um, but you know, 
learning uh, how to um, uh, not default to anger, right? Or whatever emotion somebody might default to internally, right? You could default to insecurity, you could default to, to sadness, or you could default to you know, whatever that emotion might be. Mine happens to be anger. Um, so I've actually, meditation has made a huge difference in my ability to better understand my emotion, process through whatever emotion I'm going through in whatever the scenario might be. Um, but that's probably been one of my biggest ch thematic challenges throughout my life. So like, for example, in sport and soccer, um, you know, didn't take much for another player, it was, but grazed me and I was hunting him down on the field, right? Um, but, you know, what that does, it takes you out of the, men uh, it takes you out of your mental game. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's around mental fortitude, mental strength. Um, um, but that has everything to do with being centered and I've gotten, you know, I call it old age or call it meditation, but it, it's, <laughs> it's got me, you know, it's got me to a point where I'm a lot, I'm a lot more chill about things. And again, back to your other question, which I think is a great question for, for folks that are in the early part of the journey, um, you know, being able to be calm in highly stressful situations, I think has, comes back to breathing. It comes back to meditation. It comes back to, to being in touch with your subconscious. It comes back to being, to not having split energy. Like all these things yeah. seem like they're small or unrelated. They're not. Yeah, no, right? everything ties together. We, we have a very, it's a very amazing ecosystem, our bodies right? In terms of mind, spirit, body, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that I, I love about our conversation today is the self-discovery that you've had and the awakenings that you've had over the last you know year or two or three, because that's, that's important in life to have these, these times where we do look inward and we do find out things about ourselves. We change ourselves. Um, one of the things we talked about earlier was the notion or concept of we each have like a superpower or, yeah. or, or, or a few superpowers. I wonder, you know, as you look at yourself and look inward, what do you think your superpower is? Well, from, from, uh, you know, from a work perspective, um, probably the easiest way to, to, to sum that up is sales science, right? So sales is, is uh, it's a bit of an, of, of an amorphous concept for those that haven't spent a lot of time in the world of sales, but there is, a really amazing science behind sales. So I've been doing sales for as long as I can remember. Um, I've gone through sales methodology training for now, I've, geez, 15 plus years, like formal coaches, formal programs, multiple days. And, and I've done that once a year for like 10 or 15 years. Um, so that's my superpower. When it comes to sales and the value that I bring to an organization, it's understanding the science. Um, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, one concept that I've, I've picked up along my journey is what's called productive sales capacity. It sounds like a fancy term, but it's all about how do you, um, how do you measure right, the output, right? Maybe you can think about it like in horsepower from an engine. How do you measure that output from a sales engine? And the engine has either two, four, six, eight, 12, 24, 200, pistons, which are your salespeople. Um, understanding it's like a mechanic, right? That would maybe turbocharge an engine. Do you know how to build the engine? Then do you know how to fine tune the engine? Then do you know how to turbocharge mm -hmm. the engine? That's what I do, right? So if you know, like a mechanic, if you know how to work on engines, you can fix it, 
you can build it, you can optimize it, you can scale it. That's my superpower. You have high SQ sales quotient. So it's like, it's like not EQ, not IQ, but it's it's, just, it's, SQ. it's SQ. I love that, man. So last question for you. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll share one other thing that I've called you Kiko my whole life and, yes. and as is the whole family. So, um, that's, that's your nickname. So Kiko, what else, um, just general wide open space here. Do you want to share in, in, in general with the audience listening to this show as a, as a wrap up, I'll give you the final word. Yeah. Look, man, I, um, first of all, I'm super proud of you. Um, I've watched you growing up and the, 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 the things you've done from, working at Tesla, it's the movie that you, that you produced. I was super proud to be, a, be one of, I think many supporters and investors, um, to, to what you're doing now. So, um, I think what's really neat is that, uh, um, uh, the, the family that we have, right. We have lots of cousins and we have, our family has its dysfunction, like every family. Um, but, um, you know, with my divorce, um, I had to kind of go off for a couple of years um, and take care of myself. Um, and then we reconnected in Mammoth and it was as if, you no, know, no time has passed. No time has passed, right? And you have a beautiful wife. Your son is amazing. Uh, the kid's going to be, he's going to be a, a heartbreaker. And, and he'll probably go wide. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, look, I, I, I think that uh, for me, I, I hope, right? that you've always known family is very, very important to me. Um, and uh, yeah, the divorce was tough for me and it kind of, uh, you know, derailed me for Put a you bit. on the sidelines a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, uh, but I think, you know, if there's, if there's anything I can leave with you and anybody listening is, you know, um, for me, uh, all of this is meaningless without family. And, you know, the work that I do, the studies that I did, um, the things, I think you're the same way. The things that I do, it's all right to be focused, you know, to be, be able to provide for my family, focus on my family. So, um, that's probably the big one is yeah. family is number one for me. Yeah. And, and, and I definitely know that about you. You've, you've always been that way. And probably the reason that I idolized you and looked up to you so much is that even though you would throw me on the ground when we were like wrestling <laughs> as kids and it was uh, painful, I always knew that it came from a place of love. <laughs> I mean, just like the uh, conversation we've had today, man, I felt the love and it's been so great connecting and having this really focused, uh, undistracted conversation, present, present conversation. Yes. Thank you for sharing so candidly, so vulnerably, and really so eloquently about, you know, your story and your life and the moments that you've had over the last year and how that's helped to define, you know, who you are today and how it's really made you start to realize things about yourself that you never knew. Yeah. It's really powerful. And so with that, I just want to say, man, I love you. And, I, love you and, and I am so thrilled to have had you on yeah, in, Inside Out. Me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.